Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is NFC East wrap-up day. We're doing all of our season predictions for the NFC East. We're predicting division winners. We're predicting players of the year, rookies of the year, coach of the year, MVP, all that kind of stuff. We're taking high-level looks at free agency additions and uh, you know notable rookies per team. Obviously, we did the deep dives for every single roster, roughly an hour dedicated to each individual team throughout the week. But if you're just stopping by for the Friday recaps, because you only want the absolute top sheet for the NFC East. This is the show for you. But before we get to all of that high-level goodness, EJ, my wonderful co-host, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking tonight? I'm celebrating, not with what I'm drinking, but because this is the halfway point of this whole series, and it's been tremendous so far. So whether or not you are one of those hardcore gluttons that's going five for five every week with us and watching all the podcasts are only showing up for these divisional summaries go ahead and click subscribe and like that helps us out with all of our content but this is a fun division to talk about and i am happy to be sort of at the top of the mountain and looking at heading down for the rest of the uh the rest of this series closing it out real strong it's been going great so far speaking of i don't know if i told you this i I was talking to a buddy who works for an AFC East team. So I think, I think you know who it is. Uh, Yeah, there we go. Saw the brain working, works for an AFC East team. And he's like, Oh my God, this series is awesome. But I, I've only had time to watch the Jaguars episode and I'm like eight behind. And there's so much more than last year. Yes, there is. We're probably doing like five hours on average of content per division. Last year, it was like three, three and a half at most per division so there is significantly more content this year so i fully understand if people are only kind of picking and choosing which episodes to do but that's why we're doing it in this format is so that you guys can pick and choose which teams you want to learn about which ones you don't maybe you're just doing these friday wrap-ups that's why we're doing them is to give the people that don't have literally 40 hours of time an option to just kind of do you know maybe eight hours of time over a two-month period But with that being said, let's get into the 2021 kind of high-level recap. Where did the NFC East end up at the end of last season? Cowboys and Eagles were the only two teams to make the playoffs. Unfortunately, both of them had short-lived playoff trips, uh, even though they both had significantly different regular season experiences. The Cowboys uh, finished at 12-5, and were one of the stronger teams in the conference, you know, for, for most of the year. And then just kind of had a uh, had a very unfortunate ending due to uh, let's just say execution 
I, I don't want to belabor the point and make Cowboys fans click off this video because they're they're too traumatized. But let's just leave it up to execution. Philly, meanwhile, started off very rocky. Started off two and five, but then ended up at nine and eight. They surged in the second half of the year once they figured out, oh, we can run the ball. Uh, and then they just never stopped running the ball. And they realized they were good at it and leaned into that, and it completely opened up a whole new world for them. All of a sudden, they became a very, very, very hard team to beat. Uh, Washington, you know, maybe for some people exceeded some expectations, even though they finished at 7-10. and 10. Very talented roster. A coaching staff that, for the most part, we like. There's an environment there that maybe is a little bit distracting from time to time to be generous. <laughs> That's the undersell of the year. That distracting uh, is the word that's carrying a lot of weight there. But, and mildly yeah, you know. was doing a hell of a lot of work, too. <laughs> uh, Seven and ten, though. Seven and ten. I'll, I'll take it, considering everything that was going on and everything that continues to go on. And, oh, my God, how does that man still own an NFL team? But, hey, hey, not going to belabor the point. We're not uh, here New for York that. Giants. Not here for yeah. that. New York Giants. Uh, finished last in the division at four and 13. Completely, and I mean completely, fell apart in the back half of the year, or really for most of the year. I don't want to accuse the team of giving up on Joe Judge, but boy, it kind of looked like it after they called a QB sneak on third and nine. At that point, I think we kind of knew it was over. Took their sweet time moving on. Um, I was actually in a bar in Manhattan in Union Square when he got fired with a bunch of Giants fans, and the look on their faces was priceless. It was like they, they saw the gates of heaven with their own eyes. Like, I've never seen Giants fans that happy in my entire life, but they were amped. And they've been amped ever since. Because um, even though last year was kind of a shit show, they, they had a hell of an offseason, got a lot better, hired a coaching staff that we really like, got a front office that we really like. So things are, things are looking up for Big Blue. But that's kind of high-level uh, a look back at, at 2021 and, and what happened there. I think the two teams at the top are still the two teams at the top. It's just maybe the gap is a little bit narrower than it was this time last year. The future looks brighter, a lot brighter for the Giants. Uh, as soon as the Joe Judge news came, it was like, and? And are we also getting rid of Dave Gettleman? And, and that came down, yes, indeed. So a new pairing, I think. I don't want to say hope springs eternal. I want to just say hope springs for the first time in, in a real fashion in New York. It's going to be not this year. This year will be better and more fun to watch. Next year is when you're really going to start looking at that roster coming together under that coaching staff and, and see what you've got, see if they're going to be competitive for the division. That's where it starts and then into the playoffs and, and further on. It certainly look like they're setting it up that way, but. Giants fans haven't had that breath of fresh air in quite some time. Washington feels a little bit like they're treading water um, on the field. They really, we talked about this in their wrap-up or in their individual podcast episode. Got to figure out what they're doing at quarterback. If if Carson Wentz somehow magically gets good, <laughs> then they'll be fine. If he doesn't, they'll be about the same. Philadelphia really good off season after a very strong closeout to the season some very positive momentum that they carried through free agency and the draft and the undrafted free agent process they're almost too good to be true at this point uh, they're starting to say some things about they feel like a super team which always turns me off a little bit but other than that every just about every move they've made has been positive 
The Cowboys just talked about them yesterday. Refilled a lot of their holes, and look, they were a 12-win team last year. Love their, uh, we'll say, lower coaching staff, coordinators on down. Uh, we have issues with their head coaching. Maybe those get mitigated a bit this year. Maybe maybe take the reins out of, of Mike McCarthy's hands in some key situations and, and stack a couple more wins. But um, more balance in the division for sure. Which, at the end of the day, that's what we want for entertainment value. Uh, we don't want it to be one team kind of steamrolling everybody. We want all the teams to kind of cannibalize each other as the year goes on because that's what makes for great Week 17 and Week 18 content for us. So selfishly, we want this to be a very, very, very cannibalistic division, which is the NFC East. It usually is. Um, I kind of want to talk about notable free agency additions. And, you know, sometimes when we do these full division recaps, we kind of go team by team. I want to look at all of them together because when you look at all of them together, you can see a pattern of the teams that had no money and the teams that, you know, had a little bit more money but did everything they possibly could to just go all in and make a run. Because the Giants had virtually no money. Like, they had to let James Bradbury go just so that they could, you know, get under the cap. So they only added Mark Lewinsky and Jihad Ward. Uh, were there two quote-unquote tentpole free agents, if you can even call it that? Like, they went dirt cheap. If you want to look at, like, their entire cap strategy and everything like that, go watch that full episode. But they really had nothing. Dave Gettleman completely fucked them over. Uh, Washington had a little bit more money, but, um, again, had to make some tough decisions, especially on the interior offensive line. They ended up with Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner as their new starting guards for this year for, like, 40% of the cost of what Brandon Scherf got in Jacksonville. So, again, had to make some very shrewd moves, probably because they took on the Carson Wentz contract, which is why they had to go cheap elsewhere. Not saying it was a great decision, but you can tell, like, they – they didn't have a whole lot of money to do Carson Wentz plus other stuff. It was either just Carson Wentz and cheap guards or Carson Wentz and nothing. Um, Philadelphia, I'm going to get to in just a second, but Dallas, like you can really see like their, their cap situation put them into a hole. They were able to retain some key players, but they lost plenty of them too. Like Lyle Collins is in Cincinnati. Um, DeMonte Casey is with the Steelers. Cedric Wilson's with the Dolphins. Keanu Neal's with the Buccaneers. Amari Cooper got traded to the Browns for a fifth-round pick. They couldn't retain Amari because they didn't have the money to. Uh, Randy Gregory, they did all of these moves with restructures with Dak and Zach Martin to sign him back because they that was the one guy along with Tank that they really wanted to keep. And then, you know, the the salary forfeiture language caused him to move on to, to Denver instead. So that kind of blew up in their face a little bit. But they still didn't really have any other money. You know, they kind of flirted with Von Miller, and then Von got the deal from Buffalo, and like, well, fuck, we can't afford that. So they're like, okay, I guess we're going cheap with Dante Fowler, and I guess we're going cheap on receiver with James Washington. They didn't, they didn't really have any other options. You know, their their option was Randy Gregory, and then that didn't work out. Um, and then you contrast all three of those teams that were strapped for cash with Philly who's just like, yeah, let's let's restructure Brandon Brooks, Brooks before he retires and free up a bunch of money. We're restructuring Darius Slay to give us like $11 million in cap space, and we're going in. We're absolutely going in. We got James Bradbury for cheap, relatively speaking. Hassan Reddick's like $15 because your White's somehow only $3 million. A.J. Brown at $25 million. You know, they, they spent between their retentions and um, – 
and their third-party signings, they spent like 80 to $90 million, completely outspending the rest of the division combined by orders of magnitude because they realized if we're going to go for this thing, we got to go for it now. Jalen Hurts is cheap. We have a lot of rookie talent or guys on rookie deals that are cheap. If we're doing it, we're doing it now. And so just the kind of dichotomy between all of the resources here in the Philadelphia column and then the complete lack of resources everywhere else in the division just kind of goes to show where every team in the NFC was at in terms of available cash. Eagles definitely put their foot down. They just mashed the accelerator and said, right now, it was that run at the end of the year. We talked about it in their episode, finishing 4-1, and one, gelling under that new coaching staff, embracing the run-first strategy on offense to make themselves a very tough out. They were honest with themselves about what it would take to get past that and where their holes were last year, and they attacked them vigorously in both free agency and the draft, loaded up, gave Hurts more weapons, uh, gave their pass rush, added firepower, filled in their linebacker gap, which was the most notable on their defense. They had some struggles at safety as well, and they retain a few of those, but their linebacker position's completely remade. They said, now's it. We're going we're gonna to let some go, but we're going to retain all the key ones, and we're going to go buy some too or trade for some. And that is what sets them up to compete for this division at least this year, if not go further, by doing pretty much the same. If they put in the same amount of effort, don't lose as many games in the beginning of the season because they basically start off that hot roll from the end of last year and keep rolling right through the season – this is a double-digit win team that will go into the playoffs and is built to hurt people there, too. So they identified, they were honest with themselves, and they opened up Jeff Lurie's checkbook and said, nope, right now, right right now, we're doing this today. And it sets them up as one of the best teams, if not the best team in the division. So they've got to fight the Cowboys for that, but they have the firepower to do it now. Helps to have an owner that's willing to spend anything. Like the, sure. the teams that I think always have the like, there's very few like actual competitive advantages you can get in the NFL. Having an owner that's willing to spend anything is one of those competitive advantages because you could do so many different things with restructures and cap fuckery, for lack of a better term, that <laughs> other teams just can't do. Like you look at how the Rams structure their cap, you can't do that without Stan Kroenke's pocketbook. You just can't. Nope. And I think that the Eagles are, are lucky to have an owner that is willing to spend like that. You know, it's almost like a caution to the win approach. It's like, yeah, money's money. Who cares? You know, they, like, there are some owners in the league that are very, they have a tighter grip on their on their wallet than Mr. Lurie does. So good thing for Eagles fans. Um, the one place where I do think the division was a little bit more evened up from team to team, I thought all of them actually had pretty good draft classes obviously some had larger draft classes than others but I didn't really have any major complaints with any of these classes yeah the teams drafted well in this division and we're not going to talk about every player if you want to see that you can go back to the individual episodes we're going to talk about the highlight players on offense and defense we'll take this one team at a time as opposed to the full division approach which was <laughs> done for dramatic effect and rightfully so the spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. New York Giants start off on offense, two picks up high. Uh, Evan Neal and Wandale Robinson. Evan Neal hopefully is their bookend for a long time. Wandale Robinson gives them a very specific role on offense at receiver that they wanted. Some Giants fans barked about that being too early. If you sort of go back in hindsight and think, what's he going to do in the Dayball offense and look to Buffalo? It's the Isaiah McKenzie role, and that's why they drafted him. Time will tell as to whether or not that was a good decision up high. On defense, they get Kayvon Thibodeau up high. Pass rush threat, very talented player, athletic edge rusher out of Oregon. I'm solid with all of those picks and many more that they made. I mean, they had, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 guys in that draft class which they needed all 11 because the roster lost a ridiculous amount of depth uh in march like they just they couldn't afford to keep their depth so they had to really really extend uh extend their draft as much as they possibly could uh the one that's not listed here that i'm i'm pretty excited to see is daniel bellinger because their tight end room is objectively poop uh not not great not great jim uh it's it's very thin so daniel bellinger could be a rookie fourth round tight end that actually starts, which is not a common thing, but I think nope. that he's one to watch, especially if you're in dynasty leagues, by the way, because Brian table, Brian table offenses have a history of featuring a tight end. That looks pretty similar to Daniel Bellinger out of 11 personnel. Cough, cough, Dawson Knox, just saying. Uh, and obviously I, I share my excitement with Evan Neal had a monster grade on him. He's going to be awesome for Daniel Jones's development just to keep Daniel Jones from imploding. Uh, you know, every five seconds from somebody screaming off the edge and nailing him in the chest. And then Wandale, I think, is also going to be pretty good in that Isaiah, Isaiah McKenzie role. Overall, I loved what they did. No complaints. Got as much depth for the roster as they possibly could. Great first draft for Joe Shane. It's the start of their rebuild, and they really needed to start from the ground up. This is a, you know, teardown of the studs or, or complete teardown uh, of what Dave Gettleman left because he did not leave them in a good position Usually GMs leave you in one good position. Either you have a bunch of sort of aging but expensive players and your caps uh, in bad spot, or they left a bunch of players with potential that are younger on the roster. Your cap's okay, but, you know, you got to develop the players. Uh, Gettleman was sort of a, eh, neither. So they <laughs> needed a good draft. Um, Washington, on offense, they get Jahan Dotson, the receiver out of Penn State and Brian Robinson Jr., the running back out of Alabama. Those are their big offensive gets. On defense, it's Fedarian Mathis because, man, the commander's got a type. They love their defensive tackles from Alabama. So they get another one to back up the one they already have. I like these picks. I think Jahan Dotson has a role to play. It's interesting to see where they, I'm going to say, slot him in, uh, using that word on purpose. I think he's a better slot receiver. He can play outside, but I don't think he's as effective there. And Washington has a lot of receivers that can play outside. They really need juice in the slot, and Jahan Dotson's got that up and down the board. Brian Robinson we talked about in the episode as being a really good option for them because he does everything well. One of the things he does great is pass protect. He has burst. He has size. Um, He can take short touches a long ways he's not a tremendous guy in terms of wiggle but he does everything at a good to very good level i would say nothing at a great level but that makes him a very stable player as a rookie 
who you can put in and not worry about Carson Wentz getting turned into more mincemeat than he already is. <laughs> the thing with uh, with that running back room in Washington is if Antonio Gibson goes down, because Gibson's super talented, has had some durability issues. If he goes down, Brian Robinson can be the one immediately. And he, he can actually do some things better than Gibson can, like pass protection. Gibson, obviously, more explosive, um, better long speed, I think better or at least more dangerous as a receiver. But that doesn't mean that Brian Robinson is not a capable receiver. He absolutely is. Uh, He's really more of like the classic jack-of-all-trades running back where if anything, if you throw him on the field, it it might be a little bit harder for a defense to key in on exactly what you're going to do because you could do outside zone, you could do inside zone, you could, you know – do pretty much your entire drop back pass game, especially with, with him as a, as a six pass protector. The, the key here is the, we think conversion to wide receiver of JD McKissick, who was basically just a receiver that lined up in the backfield. Anyway, it kind of sounds like he converted to wide receiver. Maybe that signals that Brian Robinson's third down role is going to be more prevalent than even we thought on draft night, because if J.D. McKissick is now a receiver, Brian Robinson will be in on third down because of his pass protection ability. So, again, maybe this is more for the fantasy people listening, but keep an eye out for Brian Robinson, especially in, like, best ball leagues like Underdog where, um, you know, you, you, you're taking flyers on late-round rookies and, you know, maybe they, they get a couple starts and then they're getting 20 touches in a game. Like, Brian Robinson's the kind of guy that, that could get those 20 touches and do something with him. So... Keep an eye out for him, especially in, in best ball and dynasty formats. Um, and then, as you said, Fidari Mathis. Uh, oh, look, an Alabama defensive tackle. Okay. Shocker. Shocker. For Philadelphia, Cam Jurgens was the big selection for them on offense. This is Jason Kelsey 2.0. Jason Kelsey said as much. I need to mold him. Cam Jurgens has all the athletic ability in the world center out of Nebraska. He is a specimen athletically at center. One of the most athletic center prospects I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. He is wild. He needs taming. <laughs> uh, and Jason Kelsey is a perfect, perfect mentor to do that and set the Eagles up to have their center of the future on defense. They, they went Georgia. <laughs> which wasn't a bad thing to do after last season. They got Jordan Davis, the massive defensive tackle, to gum up things in the middle and penetrate. And N'Kobe Dean, the middle linebacker that played right behind him at Georgia. Uh, Some injury issues around Dean. We're not really sure how that's resolving. But, man, if he's healthy and he's on the field, super smart, gifted at getting through the trash at his size, making the tackle behind the line really quick, tough, just a huge upgrade for them if he's healthy so a lot of things added in the draft to go with a lot of things added in free agency to an already good team and you start to understand why we're fairly fairly high on philadelphia's prospects this year the number one thing i'm looking at uh for these rookies and i I did a full episode on this so it's it's been top of mind ever since i put it out uh jordan davis plus fletcher cox together gives the eagles a a, a an advantage that most teams don't have in the sense that you have two guys who can be great penetrating three techs or a straight up zero nose and be great at either one. So they can set their front any way they want to. 
They can literally run any front they want to. They want to go five down and, uh, you know, bring in either like Milton Williams or, you know, Hargrave or whoever and put all three of their best defensive tackles on the field. They can do that. You know, they want to go, you know, a lighter package and just have Fletcher or just have Jordan Davis. And then you're just kind of amoebaing around him. Yeah, you could do that too. You want to go straight up four down and have Fletcher and, and Davis next to each other. And then, you know, flex from over to under pre-snap like Georgia does you can do anything and so I think the flexibility that Jordan Davis gives a defense along with Fletcher Cox where he can penetrate as a three or play nose and just do classic nose tackle shit of just taking on blocks and you know keeping linebackers clean this is one of the most adaptable flexible defensive line rotations in the entire league and for that reason alone, Jordan Davis is one of my favorite picks in the entire draft. He is so, we we sometimes overuse the term unique. He is unique. There's nobody else like him physically other than maybe Fletcher Cox. And that says a lot. That's a lot, a lot, given Fletcher Cox's resume playing at the NFL level. I want to hear that. For, as an answer from a defensive lineman to a reporter's question this year. So what's your role in this team? Oh, mostly nose tackle shit. <laughs> That's what Noah Ellis best. is there for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he would never say that, though. No. Never he to just, a reporter. Um, He's play, far too shy. Play, play, uh, play so getting football. to Dallas' hall. That's how he talks. Just the <laughs> quietest. I'm, I'm here to play good football. I'm here to, I'm here to absolutely dominate defensive linemen. Yeah. Make my coaches proud. And I play I good football. And I weigh 370 pounds, and I single leg press like 580. So <laughs> don't worry. It'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Noah Ellis impersonations is not why you came to this recap, but you're getting them for free. So, you know, take it what it's worth. They're probably, they're probably worth exactly that. Dallas's draft hall starting off on offense. They were a little bit more pigeonholed because of their losses. They needed to go get some replacements. Tyler Smith, the offensive tackle, who may play guard. He played tackle at Tulsa, may play guard for the Cowboys. Jalen Tolbert, big outside fast wide receiver from South Alabama. And Jake Ferguson, <laughs> one of many uh, Cowboys-ish tight ends to fall off the assembly line right into Dallas out of Wisconsin. Um, great pick for them to sort of replenish that depth of never-ending tight ends who all kind of look and act the same and just are productive in that system on defense they get sam williams the outside linebacker slash edge out of old miss super talented pass rusher who had some serious off the field issues they take him early not surprising for dallas again um damone clark the lsu linebacker who was injured pre-draft but before that i had rated as about the third inside linebacker in this draft very very talented player out of the sec and then marquis bell the huge safety out of florida atlantic or no, Florida A&M. Florida A&M. Florida A&M. FAMU, my bad. Um, <laughs> sorry, Marquise. Uh, Marquise was one of my 10 gems on defense this year. Very uh, fluid, tall, impactful safety, well over 200 pounds, loves to hit. Um, has some early Cam Chancellor in his game. Not the Cam Chancellor from the Legion of Boom, not that guy, uh, but he's got some of the same qualities coming downhill uh, great vision, picking the right gap, just smacking ball carriers, getting his very long arms into passing lanes and disrupting that sort of middle passing game. Just a lot of talent. Um, 
ended up going undrafted, and the Cowboys scoop him up. Usually don't include UDFAs on this list, but Marquis Bell, I'm going to make an exception. The three that I think are going to get the most run uh, are all the ones on offense. Tyler Smith, I think if we're just doing best five on the field, I think he'll at some point during camp, like they were working him just last week at left tackle, but I, obviously he's not going to be the starting left tackle. If he goes anywhere, I think during camp they're going to figure out, like, oh, let's get him on the field by playing him at left guard. And I think that's where he ends up day one. He will eventually be a tackle for them, but it might take a little while considering they already have two good tackles. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, I think, is going to play immediately for them in the absence of Michael Gallup, who might miss significant time, still coming back from that injury. Uh, And then Jake Ferguson also, I think, will get significant snaps early on because if they feel like their receiving core is a little bit too thin to stick in 11 as much as they used to, maybe they'll go more into 12 personnel instead and kind of lean into the same game plan they did to absolutely fucking annihilate Carolina last year, which is 12 personnel and 13 personnel, run the ball, play action, all that kind of stuff, which would mean the two receivers on the field are Jalen Tolbert and C.D. Lamb, and the two tight ends are Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson, who is Dalton Schultz 2.0, and then you're you're rolling with Zeke and Pollard and Zeke and Pollard and Zeke and Pollard, and that's... That's what I think the game plan is going to be the first, you know, six to eight weeks of the season. Um, but I think those three guys on offense initially are going to get a significant amount of work. Yeah, really good draft division-wide. Again, everybody got players that fit in roles they need. Some of them had more need than want, uh, but they did a good job of plugging in those players, picking the ones that fit within their systems and guys that are going to bring immediate impact to every team we listed. It's what you want to see out of draft classes. So nice job by the NFC East. Uh, Looking at uh, storylines or narratives or however you want to, you know, pitch it could be just elevator speeches for each team. This is kind of the one question that, in our view, each team is going to have to answer this season. We'll kind of go team by team here, and we'll go from top to bottom, reverse order. Uh, Dallas, the one question we have. Very solid roster, once again. But as we went into depth with the financial issues that led to the roster reshuffling, we'll call it that, in the, uh, in the full Cowboys episode yesterday, because of all the talent they lost and all the all the picks they had to spend in their draft to restock from veterans that they lost, the roster is still good, but it's not notably better than last year. So can they take a roster that hasn't necessarily taken a leap, but is also significantly younger, can that roster get over a hump that they couldn't even get over last year? We talked about this in their individual episode that – Expectations are always high in Dallas. It's not win the division. That's not enough. It's win the division, get to the playoffs, win the playoff game, and get to the Super Bowl. That's that's the thing in Dallas. They didn't do it last year despite winning 12 games, which was a very good run by them. They've lost some talent overall. They've refilled as best they can. They've not made any significant changes in the coaching staff. Again, they don't need to win the division. They need to go further. They need to make it to the playoffs and win games there. And if they don't, it regardless of how good the record is, what kind of stats they throw up, there will be a feeling that they didn't do what they could have done in Dallas from the fan base and certainly from the locker room. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... 
The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dak's got to stay healthy, but if he stays healthy, again, it's not enough. He's got to stay healthy, lead the team to the playoffs, and win games there. Anything short of that is going to be a failure for the Cowboys. I just I look at their roster, which, again, very capable, but Philly's right there, and I think Philly is legitimately a danger not just to Dallas but to everybody um you know Green Bay is still Green Bay I know they lost Devontae Adams but I'm sorry that defense is still mostly intact Aaron Rodgers is still there they got some young exciting rookies I don't know if I I don't know if I'd take Dallas over Green Bay at this point even Minnesota like I'm very high on what Minnesota is bringing to the table even Detroit isn't the same pushover that they were in years past they have a shitload of talent in Detroit so, like, you know, if Dallas was going up against the Lions tomorrow, would I be completely confident in picking Dallas? No, I really wouldn't. Um, you know, Tampa is still Tampa. New Orleans is, when they're healthy, dominant in the trenches, great run game, great defense, more explosive now outside than they were last year. And then the NFC West is, I mean, murderers row. So Dallas really needed this offseason in order to Again, retain Randy Gregory, solidify that core of the pass rush, and then use their draft capital elsewhere. They couldn't get that done, so then they had to spend a second-round pick on Sam Williams instead of, say, another receiver to, to help replace Amari. And, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know if they took the same leap that a lot of the other NFC teams did. And I think they, they can do it, but it's going to be harder, in my opinion. It's going to be harder than it was last year. Yeah, uh, and they feel primed for regression because of yeah. that, right? 12, yeah. 12 again would be tough, and it feels like they may, you know, quote-unquote sag back to 9 or 10, which is still a very good season anywhere but Dallas, and that's going to be abject failure in the eyes of the Cowboy faithful. And at that point, then we're we're calling up Sean Payton and say, hey, we got this thing ready to go, Sean. One other job? And, and that I would not hate at all, but that's a show for another day. Uh, Philly, the one storyline we're looking at here. Not so sleeper, sleeper team in the NFC, obviously. Finished extremely strong, figured out their their identity, and then really leaned into it. This offseason added a whole bunch of talent. They're more talented than they have been since 2017, last time they won the Super Bowl. Do you think they have enough to get over all of those other NFC teams I just mentioned? Green Bay. Minnesota, the entire NFC West, uh, the Saints, the Bucks. If you were stacking this Philly roster, projecting their growth going forward, what percent odds do you think they get through that? Mm, maybe 30%. I don't know that they go all the way this year. They go farther than they did last year. I bet we'll get to who we think is going to win the division. I bet they win more games than they did last year. I bet they continue the momentum they built at the end of last year. 
and I bet they do something in the playoffs. They they got to the playoffs last year, and that felt like a huge win. <laughs> that was a new coaching staff and a late-season run. That was amazing. This year, it's not going to feel quite so amazing if they have the same kind of finish they do. I believe they get to the playoffs and make some noise, probably beat somebody, maybe even a more superior team. If they get hot again at the end of the year like they did last year, nobody's going to want to play them. They are easily talented enough to be more than dangerous and if they are rolling and sort of in their bag during that last month of the season they're not going to be the seed you want to draw i have them making it out of the wild card round i don't know yeah because division round of like that god you know you're running into tom brady again which they ran into tom last year and it's like yeah even the roster at this at this place am i taking them over Tom Brady with that much help that he has in Tampa? No. I don't know. I don't know about that. Or, you know, the Rams, God forbid. Like, they're almost there. Almost there. I don't know if they're quite there. If they're healthier, I will give them that. And and that's a caveat for every team, for the Bucks, for the Rams, for the Eagles. Whoever's really healthy and on a roll at the end of the season, like, Philly is to the point now with roster building where if they've got more of their pieces than the other team, just because of health, even if their pieces aren't sort of objectively better, if you just stack fully healthy rosters, they could steal one there. It's not a Cinderella team anymore. It's a, we expect to be here. And you know, if we have a few more advantages on a given day, we'll take one from you. Washington, a little bit more of a one dimensional question. Can this talented roster, which, objectively is talented Mm -hmm. tons of talent can they elevate Carson Wentz or will he hold them back just like he arguably held the Colts back he's got to play better than he has in a long time now and that's the problem is the you know hope springs eternal that Carson Wentz will return to his you know near MVP form that he held for one half of a season four or five years ago Mm -hmm. that's that's thin hope in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Uh, the chances of that happening, the likelihood of that happening is low. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Is it probable? No, it's really not. And then the rest of the roster is going to have to play the lights out and hope they can carry pretty mediocre quarterback play. Teams have done it in the past, for sure. Is it a recipe for success in the current iteration of the nfl no you need a super weapon at quarterback and a good team to be able to go toe-to-toe and punch with the tom brady's or the matt stafford's who have lots of extra help around them you know do they even get out of this division i don't think so i you know i'm just going off the way carson's played lately and you know he had what we considered the best possible scenario Last year, we said going to Frank Reich, if anybody can pull the most out of him, it's him. It is a very talented team that Chris Ballard has built around him. Like, yeah, let's, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if I believe, but if there's a shot for him to do it, it's here. And not so much. They get rid of him after one year and expecting him to suddenly (laughs) leap to new heights. They spent a first round pick on him and they still got rid of him after a year. No, they knew. if that doesn't tell you where he's at, yeah, I, I don't know what does. So I'm so, I think they're going to be right back in the race for a quarterback next year. I know, and we had this discussion uh, 
prior to recording the Washington episode, which was if Carson Wentz just disappeared, if he just went poof, right? And they had Taylor Heineke, Sam Howell, and Cole Kelly. The three core the three quarterbacks they have behind him on the roster. Do they win the same amount of games? <laughs> One more game or a couple of less games than if Carson Wentz starts the whole season? It's comparable, and, and that's a problem. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> we we came to the conclusion that mm, the best bet there's probably about even money. Taylor Heineke has shown the ability to to play some very plucky football. Uh, Sam Howell looked like a future NFL starter in 2020, not so much in 2021. Arguably, there's more young quarterback talent on that roster than Carson Wentz still possesses. So it's almost like, why wouldn't you roll with that? If you end up winning the same amount of games but developing some quarterback talent, which would eventually be backup quarterback talent, still getting a decent pick and and going after that next, again, leading high-round quarterback, what's the difference? Well, the difference is you're paying Carson Wentz like $30 million. That's the difference. It's It just doesn't seem great team-building strategy. So I think Washington's roster has some heavy lifting to do to pull Carson Wentz along with them. Final one here. One kind of narrative for the Giants. Can Dable work his magic with Daniel Jones, or is it time to move on? For me personally, um, if there was ever a time for this to work, it's right now. The offensive line has been rebuilt. And on paper, at least, it's looking pretty capable. Their tackle duo, highly talented. Their interior trio, better than it has been in recent years. Um, The weapons, if they stay healthy, there's enough there, especially you know with uh, with some of the recent picks they've made with Wondell Robinson um, and Kadarius Tony. Even though we didn't get to see a whole lot of him last year, he he had some flashes of being a legitimate separator. There's really no excuse. There's really no excuse at this point. If Daniel if Daniel Jones doesn't work now with improved weaponry, improved protection, improved play calling, improved coaching in general, if he doesn't work now. He's not going to work. So I think Giants fans can at least rest easy knowing the fact that by the by January of this year, we're at least going to know. And at that point, the Giants are either rolling with him or they're not, and they're making plans to make a move up for Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or whoever, Will Levis. I don't even care at this point. They're making a move up for one of those guys. But at least by January, we're going to know because if it doesn't work now, it's not going to work. I'm hoping against hope that too much damage hasn't been done to Daniel Jones because he's gotten hit a lot. He's not had a tremendous amount of support from from coaching and certainly from the protection standpoint, and he needs it. Uh, Daniel Jones' Achilles heel as a quarterback is a terrible pocket presence. He does not sense backside pressure, and it gets him hit a lot. And unfortunately, when he gets hit, he lets go of the ball at a an historic rate. That's bad. It's just <laughs> like throwing picks in bunches. So you got to, you know, they've done what they can to shore up the offensive line in a, in a very positive way. You got to keep Daniel Jones protected. If he can sort of get rid of that voice in his head that says they're coming, stand in the pocket and deliver as a very athletic thrower of the football, to what you said are some improved weapons it could work i just wonder it's the, you know 
Daniel Jones in NFL quarterback in terms is not a spring chicken. He's been at this a bit now, and he's taken a ton of hits, and he's not used to stability. So I hope against hope that he can get used to stability if they can provide it and then just showcase that arm and that athleticism because I don't want him running for his life. Yes, he can scramble, but I don't want him to have to because he'll miss the backside pressure and he'll get creamed again. And if he takes a bunch of those in the first third of the season, I'm not sure that he ever stabilizes. And I want to see him stabilize because he is a very athletic quarterback and Dable is the one, I think, that could bring that out of him. And you're right. They will know by the end of the season what they're doing, whether they're going forward and they've found a way to make it work or finally time to cut the cord and say, nope, we tried, we did everything we could, and we need something different. All right, final segment for this entire division, for this entire week, the last little hurrah here, Uh, 2022 division predictions. Uh, You and I are in agreement at the top, Dak Prescott, Best quarterback in the division, probably the most productive quarterback in the division. They're definitely going to be uh, in line for winning the division. So I think it's a it's a pretty easy choice for MVP. Usually, when we're doing these things, the best quarterback in any given division is going to be our pick for MVP, and for good reason. Offensive player of the year, you and I divert a little bit. You've got C.D. Lamb, who, again, considering the injuries to the Cowboys receiving core and absences now in the Cowboys receiving core, he should be in line for an absolutely biblical amount of targets so I I could see the argument there I'm going a little bit different direction I'm taking Jalen Hurts who for me going back to when he was a teenager at Alabama true freshman didn't even know what he was doing yet every single year for basically seven straight years he has gotten better as a quarterback and I think we are now at the point where Jalen Hurts turns from serviceable starter to good starter and by the end of the year maybe even more than just good starter so I've got him as my offensive player of the year candidate I think you can go either way on this but I weight quarterback slightly more just because you know it's quarterback I do too but this one's about perception and I will say this and it will sound strange given my pick I think Jalen Hurts could earn it this year and still not get it. And it's all about perception. It's not about mm-hmm. the actual play. I think, like you, that he can continue to ascend because he always has. And he's, again, got a better supporting cast around him than maybe ever, and that's saying something for a guy that played at both Alabama and Oklahoma. He's got a longer way to go in the sort of public perception, and like it or not, that has to do with who wins awards. Mm-hmm. He would have to do more. He would have to blow whoever else is in the competition away because people have a picture painted of Jalen Hurts. So he could play amazing, and people could still sell him short a little bit. With CeeDee Lamb, he had what he needed to have. He had a very good rookie season, almost 1,200 yards, like a bunch of touchdowns, a bunch of receptions. Now he's going to get even more. Uh, in the beginning with Michael Gallup out. He's got the best quarterback in the division. They're going to feature him, and all he has to do is do the same. Honestly, if he did the same as he did as a rookie, he's got a better chance to win this award than Jalen Hurts if he ascends to the next level. Defensive player of the year for the division. This one, again, extraordinarily easy. Micah Parsons. He is, for lack of a better word, he's fucking Batman. The, the amount of stuff he can do 
you know, picking up receivers deep down the field in coverage when they're running match zone stuff, rushing off the edge, um, you know, playing middle linebacker and getting off blocks. Like, he's a better linebacker now than he was at Penn State. Like, I, I, I credit Dan Quinn so much for developing him, not just as a pass rusher, but as a linebacker, the position he was drafted to play. They really only started giving him more snaps at edge because they took injury at, at edge. And so they're like, okay, let's drop Micah down and you know play that that package more than they were probably anticipating that they needed to play it and then it just kept working he kept absolutely <laughs> destroying people and they're like okay even when we have all three now we're going to kick tank inside and just have Micah be a, a an edge rusher on third down pretty much no matter what you know and then have Randy off the other edge so they kind of discovered as the season went on like oh he's also our best edge rusher too and so he's just he's he's insane he i i had a pretty decent grade on him but he's exceeded even my expectations and I I couldn't be happier that that he wound up in that environment with those kind of coaches that could develop him into what he is because he is extremely fun to watch it is the happiest of accidents when a talented player ends up with a coaching staff that can truly unlock their potential not just make them a little bit better not hone the rough edges off but bring out things you didn't know were there and he had some of those flashes some of those flashes he did not have at penn state let's be clear he Mm -hmm. showed things last year that rookies aren't supposed to show it's supposed to be harder to go to the nfl and he actually played better as a cowboy than he did as his last year as an indian lion like by far and that's really really rare super fun to see and yeah, as soon as you remember Micah Parsons is in this division, you kind of stop thinking about this category because <laughs> there were calls for him to be in the defensive player of the year voting last year, not defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, best defensive player in the league. And there was an argument for a while that he would be competitive in that race. That's absurd. And mm-hmm it's the best kind of absurd and i don't think we're going to see regression i think as he gets more comfortable they're going to put even more on his plate and leave even more flexibility open for him to make impact and i think he will it's he when you said yeah i had a decent grade on him i think he exceeded everybody's expectations i don't care if you were the biggest penn state homer in the world if you legitimately, honestly said, I think Micah Parsons is going to become what Micah Parsons became, people would have looked at you like you had three eyes. They would have been like, look, he's good, but come on, you're talking yeah. about all world. Yeah, he's all world. He's that good. Unless your grade was literally Lawrence Taylor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were probably short. Yeah, you're probably short. Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, we differ a little bit on this one. I could I could go either way with it. Jahan Dotson, I totally get the argument for it. Um, I, I only wonder just where he's going to play and how often he's going to play because they do legitimately have, you know, like, they're four deep in that receiving core. So it's like, is he the Z? Is he the slot? It, pretty much the only spot that I think for sure is locked down is Terry at X. So I... I think that he very easily could win it, but I think it also depends on how many snaps is he splitting with Curtis Samuel. You know, you never know. Um, For me, I have Evan Neal, who's, I mean, I don't even think you can get odds on him to win Offensive Rookie of the Year because he's an offensive lineman. But if we're just talking about best offensive rookie in the division, 
uh, I, it's it's hard for me to argue anybody but Neil because he was the he was the first one taken, and I have a monster grade on him at tackle. So um, I could go either way with this one. Jahan Dotson's more likely to actually win the award, but if we're just talking about best player, I, I would say Evan Neal. If we go with your definition, I agree. Evan Neal uh, will be the best offensive player. Do offensive linemen rookies ever win anything? Uh, no. no, they don't. Uh, they get Pro Bowl nods if they do really well, and that's their win. So uh, it, this was the hardest one for me because there's not a lot of great candidates. Jahan Dotson is not, like, amazing to me in the fact that, hey, Carson Wentz is still throwing in the ball, and, yes, he's still a rookie receiver, and, yes, we also don't know exactly where he's going to play. He's going to have some opportunity, but he doesn't have the greatest quarterback throwing him throwing the ball and the decision-making hasn't been great. So if they don't establish a rapport quickly, like I don't think, you know, from a performance standpoint, production standpoint, Jahan Dotson's rookie season is going to be all that awesome. If there was someone else, <laughs> you know, if, if Derek Carr had been pried loose from the, from the Raiders and was now the quarterback of the commanders, I would, I'd feel real good about calling Jahan Dotson a rookie of the year candidate. Um, offensive rookie of the year candidate um as it is it was kind of like well who's who's left <laughs> what is there yeah well there was no shortage of candidates for defensive rookie of the year uh i i couldn't not go with my guy jordan davis i have to remain remain loyal to him forever um again very unlikely to win it because nose tackles don't ever win anything um but in terms of just best rookie defensive player in the division it's Georgia Thanos, man. I got to stick with him, ride or die. Yeah, and this is the loyalty category. I got to stick with Kayvon Thibodeau. Jordan Davis, to your credit, though, is not just a nose tackle. If they're smart, they're going to move him around. I actually said pre-draft. I thought if he committed to it, he could be the best three-tech in this draft. Probably. Like, if he dropped yeah. like 10, 15 pounds, yeah. I, with his quickness, I don't even need him to, and he's going to overwhelm people. So it really depends on how they deploy him, what that role looks like. We say that a lot about defensive rookies. We said that about Isaiah Simmons. You know, it's it's all about where he lands, what the system looks like, and how they use him. Cool thing about Jordan Davis is he will move up and down that line. So he's not just a nose tackle. If he was just a nose tackle, yeah, no way he wins the award unless he has a, like, Vince Wilfork-type season. But... Jordan Davis has some chance to do that. I went with Thibodeau because I had Thibodeau as my top-rated edge in this class. I think he was unfairly maligned for stuff that didn't exist, like quote-unquote effort. He made some incredibly high-effort plays on tape. He's got every physical skill you could want out of an edge rusher. Uh, he has to perform, but the new Giants coaching staff has me fairly amped. Uh, he's going to get plenty of opportunities. It's not like he has to play past a bunch of people on that roster. He's going to start. Uh, and if he starts, again, sacks are a fickle thing. If he starts racking up a few, he's going to get the looks. People are going to form opinions early, and he could roll to that award. Coach of the year. This one, um, <laughs> I legitimately didn't know. I was so torn. No. I was so torn. Um, I put Brian Dable just because I, I believe – he can get Daniel Jones to where he needs to be. And if he does, he's going to win this for sure. In terms of team success, I'm, I'm, it's probably Nick Sirianni if I'm, if I have to bet, but also like, Hey, if the Cowboys go on a run here and they win 12, 13 games, like we talked about with their ceiling yesterday, like, yeah, Mike McCarthy could win it too. You mean Kellen Moore is going to win coach of the year. 
I'm, you're saying the quiet part out loud, EJ. I know uh, my my vote was going to be anybody but Mike McCarthy because that would be a dead nuts lock. You'd never get odds on that. But I, my logic is exactly the same as yours. Dable might do the best coaching job in the division. If the Eagles are as good as we think they are, Nick Sirianni will get the vote. Yeah. I mean, again, we're talking about a probably 11, 12 win team here making a playoff run. And then as long as they just win a playoff game, he'll he'll get votes for not just coach of the year in the division but coach of the year in the league i would bet yeah uh and that brings us to division winner uh, you guys probably saw this one coming a mile away based on oh i don't know everything for the last week we both got the eagles um they're the team on the upswing they arguably have the most talent in the division they have a, a good coaching staff that pulled them together through a lot of a lot of trials and tribulations um I think that this is this is their year, and it's not that the Cowboys are bad or, or anything like that, but I think they're more vulnerable now, especially in the first six to seven games, you know, with some guys coming off injury, and they have young players getting used to the game and everything like that. They're more vulnerable now than they have been in the last few years. If there was ever a time for Philly to kind of take the pole position, it's 2022. Yeah, it feels like Philadelphia put their foot on the gas and is surging. Dallas is the established leader, like top of the heap last year, but they're going to have to fight harder than ever to keep that position. And again, it just feels like the weight is slowly pulling them down and the propulsion is slowly pushing the Eagles up. And I do think they cross in the middle at some point and Philadelphia takes the lead and keeps it at the end. Well, how about that? A little bit of an efficient Friday wrap up for once. We're we usually tend to go a little bit overboard on these, but uh, we're trying to keep the wrap-ups semi-short for you guys, especially since these are the episodes that are supposed to be the efficient way to get your off-season recaps. So keeping it under an hour is the goal. So thank you for watching and listening, however you guys may be consuming. Really appreciate that. Of course, remember to like and subscribe, which if you're still here close to an hour into this thing, I think you at least owe us that, right? You kind of have to at this point. I think there's to. a law. Uh, come back next week. We're going to be starting on the Northern teams because we are now officially halfway through this series, a 40 episode long series covering every team, every division, way too much content. <laughs> I think for most people to even try to consume, but we're going to give it to you uh, starting off with the AFC North next week. Um, yeah. Hope you guys join us for that. And uh, until Monday, later. Take care. Take care.